The European Heart Journal issue at a glance. Volume 37, issue 10. Focus issue on valvular heart disease by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Frontiers in Valvular Heart Disease Valvular heart disease has experienced a remarkable revival of interest since the introduction of transarterial valve implantation. After a difficult start with high-risk patients and initially significant complication rates, outcomes have remarkably improved and currently equals that of surgical valve replacement, at least in elderly patients with high surgical risk. Nevertheless, it is anticipated that TAVI will be used more and more in lower risk and younger patients in the future. This issue is reviewed in The Future of Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation by Christian Hamm from the University of Gießen in Germany. He reminds us that since the introduction of TAVI, the treatment of aortic stenosis has changed dramatically. While medical therapy with or without balloon aortic valvuloplasty was the only option for inoperable patients in the past, TAVI has become the treatment of choice for these patients. However, surgical aortic valve replacement remains the gold standard for patients at low or intermediate operative risk. As randomized trials have demonstrated comparable results between TAVI and surgical valve replacement in high-risk patients, TAVI is currently evaluated in intermediate-risk patients in randomized trials. Remaining problems are still paravalvular leaks, strokes, pacemaker requirements, and durability. Improvements in patient selection, imaging, and next-generation devices have decreased the incidence of such complications but perioperative strokes and permanent pacemaker implantation must still be addressed. Furthermore, the long-term durability of TAVI prosthesis and optimal antithrombotic management remain unanswered. The heart team's task remains to determine the optimal treatment for each patient based on risk scores, frailty metrics, comorbidities, patient preference, and potential for improvement in quality of life. Mitral regurgitation is the second most important valvular problem that is now almost amenable to catheter-based techniques in selected patients. Left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, is considered the most important decision-making criterion of such patients. However, LVEF represents change in cavity volume between end diastole and end systole, but does not reflect the intrinsic function of the myocardium. In contrast, speckle-tracking global longitudinal strain characterizes myocardial deformation. Jerome J. Bax and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands evaluated this in their paper Left Ventricular Systolic Function Assessment in Secondary Mitral Regurgitation, Left Ventricular Ejection Fraction versus Speckle-Tracking Global Longitudinal Strain. 150 patients with non-ischemic dilated cardiomyopathy were included, 75 with severe secondary mitral regurgitation, and 75 patients with none or less than mild regurgitation were matched according to LVEF. Systolic function was evaluated by LVEF according to Simpson's biplane method, forward ejection fraction and speckle tracking global longitudinal strain. In these patients with an LVEF of around 30%, those with severe regurgitation have significantly lower forward ejection fraction and more impaired global longitudinal strain. 
severe secondary mitral regurgitation was associated with worse global longitudinal strain. Thus, the authors conclude that in patients with severe secondary mitral regurgitation, speckle tracking global longitudinal strain reveals a truly more reduced systolic function than LVEF. A novel approach to treat mitral regurgitation semi-invasively is the CardioBand system, a direct annuloplasty adjustable device that is implanted in the beating heart on the posterior annulus under fluoroscopic and transesophageal echocardiographic guidance. In their clinical research paper, CardioBand, a transcatheter surgical-like direct mitral valve annuloplasty system, early results of the feasibility trial, Francesco Mezzano and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland reported the one-month outcomes of the first in-man pre-CE-mark feasibility and safety trial in 31 patients with moderate to severe or severe functional regurgitation. Adjustment of the cardio band resulted in a significant reduction in the septolateral dimension in all but two patients and a marked reduction or disappearance of regurgitation in most patients. Procedural mortality was zero, and in-hospital mortality 6%. At 30 days, 88% had mitral regurgitation of less than or equal to 2 plus. Thus, this study demonstrates the feasibility and safety of percutaneous direct mitral annuloplasty with the cardioband device in high-risk patients with functional mitral regurgitation. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by E. Murat Tusku from the Cleveland Clinical Foundation in Ohio, USA. The pulmonary artery is less often affected, but commonly involved, in congenital heart disease. The right ventricle remodels early in tetralogy of fallow after pulmonary valve replacement. Pre-operative thresholds to achieve early post-operative normalization of the right ventricle were reported at 80 milliliters per meter squared for end systolic and 160 milliliters per meter squared for end diastolic volume. In their research paper, Pre-operative thresholds for mid to late hemodynamic and clinical outcomes after pulmonary valve replacement in tetralogy of fallow Yuka P. Bokmer and colleagues from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, investigated whether these thresholds were associated with right ventricular normalization and clinical events in 67 fallow patients using cardiac MRI. Preoperative right ventricular end systolic volume of less than 80 milliliters per meter squared was strongly associated with favorable hemodynamic outcome. During eight years of follow-up after valve replacement, death, sustained ventricular tachycardia, or heart failure, occurred in 17%, with preoperative cardiac MR available. Patients with preoperative right ventricular end systolic volume of more than 95 milliliters per meter squared were at increased risk for unfavorable hemodynamic outcomes. The authors conclude that in fallow patients who had undergone pulmonary valve replacement, the best preoperative threshold to achieve mid to late right ventricular normalization was RV ESV of less than 80 milliliters per meter squared. Patients with preoperative RV ESV of more than 95 milliliters per meter squared were at increased risk for suboptimal hemodynamic outcome and adverse clinical events. 
The implications of these findings for timing of pulmonary valve replacement are discussed in an editorial by Matthias Greutmann from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland. Acute infective endocarditis is a severe infarction of cardiac valves and its management has recently been updated in the ESC guidelines. In particular, the indications for surgery in endocarditis are not well known. Bernard Lung from the Bichat Hospital in Paris, France, analyzed the paper Cardiac Surgery During the Acute Phase of Infective Endocarditis, Discrepancies Between ESC Guidelines and Practices, the agreement between the patients attending physicians and European Society of Cardiology guidelines regarding indications for surgery in 303 patients with left-sided endocarditis from the French survey on endocarditis. Further, he assessed whether surgery was actually performed in patients who had an indication. Surgery was indicated in 65% of the patients according to the attending physicians but in 73% according to the guidelines. Agreement was moderate between attending physicians and guidelines and between indication according to guidelines and the performance of surgery. Of the 90 patients not operated despite indication, contraindication to surgery was reported by the attending physicians in 42 only and indication was not identified in 48. One-year survival was 76% in patients with indication and surgery performed, 69% in patients without indication and no surgery, 56% in patients with identified indication and contraindication to surgery, and 60% in patients with no identified indication. Lung and colleagues conclude that cardiac surgery during acute infective endocarditis was recommended in almost three out of four patients although fewer than half were actually operated. Of note, indication was not acknowledged by the attending physicians in one out of six patients. Severe tricuspid regurgitation relates to high morbidity and poor outcome. Since surgery of isolated tricuspid regurgitation is not advised in high-risk patients, minimal invasive transcatheter tricuspid valve repair might be an alternative treatment option. The issue concludes with an EHJ brief communication, transcatheter treatment of severe tricuspid regurgitation with the MitroClip system by Robert Schuler from the University of Bonn in Germany. The objective of this study was to show technical principles and feasibility of transcatheter tricuspid valve repair with the MitroClip system. Three consecutive patients were treated for severe symptomatic tricuspid regurgitation. 3D-TEE confirmed reduction of effective regurgitation orifice area in all patients, which was accompanied by an increase in left ventricular stroke volumes, decrease in NT-pro-BNP, and relief of clinical symptoms for chronic right heart failure without procedural complications. The authors conclude that transcatheter tricuspid valve repair by use of interventional edge-to-edge -edge repair with the MitroClip system appears to be feasible and safe. Importantly, interventional reduction of tricuspid regurgitation was associated with relief of clinical symptoms for right heart failure. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.